This talk has been recorded at the Vanamali Gita Yogashram, Rishikesh, North India, situated on the banks of the holy river Ganga at the foothills of the Himalayas. This is the 13th talk in the series and is on the 12th chapter of the Srimad Bhagavad Gita. It is entitled Bhakti Yoga or the Yoga of devotion. Mani, Purvantidzima, Apsiti, 
fear of sin and evil or its consequences for, div for a divine sanction upholds his every step. But something remains to be said to bring out the full meaning of this great spiritual change. The 12th chapter leads up to this remaining knowledge and the last six develop it to its grand conclusion. Arjuna is very familiar with the current Vedantic view of the transcendental Brahman, aloof, intangible, and above all personal relationships. Krishna has also mentioned that the attainment of this being is the first step in the spiritual uplift. This has been mentioned in the second chapter itself and thus emphasized its importance. But from the seventh chapter onwards, the Lord seems to be increasingly insistent on the adoration and love which has to be offered to the Supreme. But such an adoration to the impersonal, impersonal Brahman seems impossible. For love demands some sort of reciprocation, an intimate personal closeness, holding in it the highest power for release from the ego, as well as bringing with it ananda or bliss. When Krishna refers to himself in the first person singular, it is not to the transcendent Brahman to which he is referring, but to that which is both the transcendent supreme as well as the immanent soul of all things things. He is Purushottama, Parameshwara and Paramatma at once. It is to this Godhead in the unity of all its aspects that our worth and knowledge and above all our adoration is to be directed in a constant inner sacrifice. The liberation promised by the Gita is not merely an absorption into that Supreme as in the Vedantic view but it is all kinds of union at once. For the Divine is capable of many roles and all roles at the same time. He can be many things and all things simultaneously and separately to all mankind. Such is the glory of this Parameshwara. To limit him to just one or other of the roles which everyday religion thrusts on him is to, is to do him an injustice and betrays a complete ignorance of his mighty powers. In the various chapters of the Gita, you find many types of union 
being mentioned, a complete absorption, an ecstatic dwelling, an identity of the liberated nature with the divine nature, etc., as well as an eternal nearness and a oneness of power and glory. All these are implied in the Gita. It must be remembered that till now, the difference between the Akshara Brahman and the Purushottama has not been clearly demarked, though constantly referred to. It is only in the 15th chapter that the entire demarcation will be made. The current Vedantic view which Arjuna knew and recognized was the yoga of pure knowledge of a supreme Brahman, intangible and above all relationships. But he is confronted with the vision of the Godhead with whom he has to seek unity through action, devotion and knowledge. So his question at the beginning of the 12th chapter is to clear this doubt. Evam sadada yuktaye bhakta swam pajyupasade ye chapyaksharam avyaktam tesham ke yoga vittama Among the devotees who constantly worship you, the Purushottama, and those who worship the formless, imperishable Brahman, who are better. Once before, in the fifth chapter, Arjuna had questioned him as to the relative merits of karma yoga and karma sannyasa, and Krishna had given a most emphatic answer that karma yoga was superior to karma sannyasa because it was more practical. So also here, the Lord gives an emphatic answer based on practical utility. Actually, a comparison between a karma yogi and a karma sannyasi is as unfair as between a saguna and nirguna bhakta or the devotee of the Purushottama and the devotee of the Brahman. Both karma yoga and karma sannyasa lead to the same goal, but the former is both the means and the end, while the latter is the end alone. And therefore, the former is simpler for embodied man to practice, was the Lord's reply in the fifth chapter. And here also he says that both these devotees attain the highest status, but the path of the devotee of the Purushottama is much easier for embodied man to follow. He does not denounce the former, but only points out the greater utility of the latter. If a mother were forced to choose between her infant son, who depended entirely on her, and her teenager, which would she choose? Naturally, she would have to give preference to the infant, 
not because she loves the teenager any the less, but because the former needs her more. So also the devotee who clings to the Lord as his sole and only support in all aspects of his life, spiritual, material, mental, or intellectual, has to be helped by him in all aspects of his life, for he has no other recourse. This type of complete surrender is the easier path since the entire onus of our lives has been given over into the capable hands of the divine. But the eternal self is the greater principle according to all current opinions, and God in manifestation is the inferior figure. How then can the union which admits the manifestation become the greater yoga? Arjuna voices the doubt of all intellectuals. The Lord replies with great emphasis, Maya Vesha Mano Yema Nitya Yukta Upasade Shraddhaya Parayopeda Steme Yukta Tama Madaha Those who fix their mind on me by a constant union and possessed of supreme faith seek after me I hold to be the most perfect yogi. The supreme yoga is that which sees God in all, and to its eye, the manifestation and non-manifestation are one and the same. The perfect knowledge is that which meets the divine at every moment, in every action, and in everything. But those who seek by a hard ascent to reach the unmanifest, immutable, also arrive to me, provided they are equal-minded to all and well-wishers of all, says the Lord. For they are not mistaken, but they follow a more difficult path. The feeble instruments of the human individuality lodged in this body cannot comprehend the loftiness of God's impersonality. We are persons, and no stretch of imagination can tell us the meaning of utter impersonality. So the devotee of the impersonal Brahman imposes on himself a painful struggle against his own nature. He denies himself from any type of satisfaction and by a constant suffering and repression he achieves his goal. The supreme impersonal neither accepts nor rejects all that climb up to it. Neither does it offer any help. All has to be done by severe austerity 
an individual effort. The Lord has already mentioned that howsoever a man approaches me, so shall I go to him. So if the devotee chooses this austere path, the Lord also will remain impersonal and remote, waiting for him to approach him by his own unaided effort. But just because the path is more difficult, it must not be thought that it is the higher or more effective path. The easier way of the Gita leads more rapidly, naturally, and normally to the same absolute liberation. Actually, the way shown by the Lord is also not as easy as it appears. For here also, he demands nothing less than a complete submerging of our ego into the divine. And we as egoistic individuals would find this most difficult. The only way it can be said to be easier is because we can continuously approach him through our senses, mind and intellect, and ask for help. And every time we fall, we can cry to him and he will come running to pick us up. Whereas in the other path, we have to pick ourselves up, dust ourselves and doggedly continue, however painfully along the path on which no hold is offered and no help given since none is asked for. One child learns to walk the hard way, running and falling many times. The other constantly clutches the mother for support and both reach the same goal. It is left to us to choose which we prefer. When the devotee casts on him all the responsibilities of his life, the Supreme comes to him and lifts him out of the ocean of birth and death with the greatest of ease. This then is the easiest and swiftest way. Mayeva mana adastva, mai buddhir niveshaya, nivashishya si mayeva, ada udham nasamshaya. On me repose all thy mind and understanding, and doubt not that you will dwell in me. This sounds easy, but the mind is like an agile monkey. The moment you try to fix it on God, it jumps to another spot. So in the next verse he says, if you, if you cannot do this straight away, there is no need to worry, for it will come with practice. At some moments we feel we are living in him and we experience bliss, but there is a great difficulty in keeping the consciousness constantly fixed on the divine. 
There are the days and nights of loneliness when we feel that God himself has deserted us. There are moments of revolt when the ego demands its so-called rights. Moments of doubt when we wonder what it is all about and why we are striving. Moments when we are sure that we are utter failures both in the material as well as in the spiritual realm, and moments when we think we are fools to have wasted our lives in this futile endeavor. And so, if even practice becomes difficult, do all actions for my sake, he says. And if even that is difficult, dedicate all the fruits to him. All fruits are to be renounced to the power that directs the work, but the work itself has to be done perfectly. The Lord declares that this yoga of desireless action is the very best. Abhyas or practice of fixing your mind on him is a powerful tool, but better than this, is knowledge through which the mind understands and accepts the truth and thus turns to one towards him. Better than this is the count, constant dedication to him, but best of all is the renunciation of truth, for this immediately brings about a state of calm and peace. What then? will be the divine nature of the bhakta. In the second chapter, the pen picture of the Siddha was given, the man of fixed intellect. In the fifth chapter, the karma sannyasi is given, and here we have the bhakta. All the qualities are the same. The insistent demand is on equality and desirelessness. This is the foundation always. Equality implies absence of egoism. Nirmama, nirahankara. The bhakta of the Purushottama is one who has a heart overflowing with love for the whole of creation. Adveshta sarvabhodana maitra karuna evaja. His love is not reserved to humanity alone but to the whole of creation, for even in the mosquito which stings him and the snake which bites him, he feels the energy of his beloved. Therefore, he is patient, enduring as well as full of forgiveness. He is one who lets the divine will and knowledge flow through him without the deflection of his ego. And because of this, he is swift and skillful. Anapeksha, shujir, daksha. He who allows the divine will to act through him finds that every action becomes a thing of beauty. Combinations and calculations which are far too complicated for the poor human brain are foreseen by the Lord 
so that no hitch occurs in his devotee's plans. Every detail is looked into. No effort is grudged in order to cater to the slightest needs and temperament of the devotee. Such is the tenderness and care with which the Divine Beloved cares for him. It is impossible to describe the state of affairs to one who has not actually experienced it. For God is the perfect father, perfect mother, and perfect lover. If we only had the courage to take the leap unhesitatingly and unreservedly into his arms, he will cradle us and carry us without difficulty through the infested waters of the world. This world can offer no security as strong as this. The multimillionaire who has banks filled to the brim in many countries cannot dream of the security which the God lover enjoys lying in the open air having nothing to call his own, but lapped in the waves of a sea of bliss. Even in the physical realm, when one is in love, everything is bathed in a golden mist. Nothing can daunt us or affect us. If this is the case of the worldly lover, who can describe the exalted state of the God-intoxicated man? He neither rejoices at the pleasant, nor desires it, nor does he hate the unpleasant or feel sorry about it. He has abolished the distinction between fortunate and unfortunate happenings, for in his eyes his beloved can do no wrong. Whatever life or fortune may bring him, he will be unperturbed, for his mind is constantly fixed on the divine object of his love and adoration. Having unlimited love for all creatures, he acts unfalteringly in perfect freedom. Shraddhadana matparama bhaktastu adivame priyaha Such bhaktas are exceedingly dear to me, says the Lord. Loving him and being loved by him, the exalted state of the beloved of God is indescribable in human language. Hari Om Satsat. Om Asadoma Satgamaya Tamasoma Jyotirgamaya Mrityorma Mridam Gamaya Om Shanti Shanti Shanti